Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we On this episode, we're joined by Top Fuel Ace Clay Milliken and Nitro Funny Car Championship hopeful Ron Caps. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're talking Dallas, we're talking the countdown and what both of these drivers are looking forward to in Las Vegas. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip and at the finish line stripe it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast coming off the back of what truly was an incredible weekend in Dallas, Texas, or more specifically in Ennis, Texas at the Texas Motorplex. We had a little bit of everything from the massive performances of qualifying on Friday night to a Sunday that was uh, rain delayed and then totally awesome once we got going. It was a bit of a hectic day. It certainly did not run uh, according to anybody's schedule. Uh, That includes uh, the folks at FS1 who air our races as we went for four hours and like 45 minutes or something on television, which was great. We were live for the majority of the time, able to take our viewers uh, into places and into depths of things that we normally don't have time to do in a normal three-hour show. But it made for a um, it made for a wild deal, and it made for a lot of people who uh, need to figure out how to set a DVR properly to record an entire program, as opposed to just the air window in which it is supposed to air. Uh, it was wild, and it really does set up the last two races of the year. Uh, the Nevada Nationals in Las Vegas, and then, of course, the Auto Club Finals in Pomona, California. It sets them up really wonderfully. Uh, we're going to have top fuel driver Clay Milliken on here. He is a guy who is uh, not necessarily totally eliminated yet. He's a little bit far back in the points, but his car has been running very well. And we saw him, uh, unfortunately, suffer an upset upset defeat in Dallas, but he has been running very, very strong over the last several races, stronger than the car has run all season. And Ron Caps, Of course, Ron is uh, now only 10 points behind Robert Height for the championship, and it would be interesting and will be interesting to see just how deeply into Pomona uh, that gets settled. It could go all the way down to a final. Winner take all. Uh, old school, you know, Joe Amato, Gary Ormsby style back in the back in the 80s for Top Fuel. That's one of the, the most uh, iconic ones back in the 19, I guess, 89 season. But before we get to any of that, let's just kind of run back through what we saw in Dallas. Who was impressive? Of course, Eric Anders remains impressive. She pulled off, uh, they're calling it the Texas two-step, having won both Houston and Dallas. Um, doing that it was just something that um, it almost seemed predestined the way the car has been running. She ties her all-time single-season win total by doing that, has a chance to uh, now beat it twice, going into a racetrack in Las Vegas where she has won more than a half dozen times and run it up a bunch of times and even outside of NHRA has won big money bracket races at. She truly thrives at the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and she is the only professional racer who has the opportunity to clinch a championship uh, at the at the Nevada Nationals, so uh, a lot of it's going to come down to qualifying, and then uh, really how how if and how she can outpace Aaron Stanfield. Is it something that happens early in the day? Is it something that happens on Sunday afternoon? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. What will the KB Racing guys try this time to stop her? If anything, it's almost as though it's uh, too far gone to even throw those roadblocks out, but. We saw it happen last week. Dallas Glenn was trying it. He was doing his best to get there and ended up missing the tune-up in the final session and, and not qualifying for the field. There will be four qualifying sessions in Las Vegas, which does uh, does kind of change the, the dynamic of how people approach qualifying. Uh, 
typically, of course, it's desert air, so it's a high desert, so we do have a little bit of elevation there, but it is dry and typically cool. And so mid 360s, not out of the question, especially in top fuel and uh, certainly 80s uh, for the premier nitro funny car runners out there. Don't don't think those will be out of the question either. In the top fuel chase, or actually let's go to Pro Stock Motorcycle, uh, Jerry Savoie and Hector Rana Jr. in the final. As I said on the TV show, uh, anybody who had those two names penciled into the final round in Dallas, uh, you're a better guesser, better, better than I am because I didn't have either of them. And that's not to be disrespectful to either of them, but Hector's a part-time uh, competitor now. And uh, that being said, when they do pick their spots, the bike is competitive, and he rode it so very well. Jerry Savoie is a guy who just can't seem to miss in Dallas. Uh, and he made it to the final, got outrun by a stronger motorcycle in, in Hector Arana Jr. But uh, for Jerry Savoie, it was a great race day. Even for Hector Arana Jr., is a great race day. Both of those guys uh, did what they needed to do. Uh, Hector is not a part of the points battle to countdown. Jerry Savoie made a nice case for himself. He moved up a little bit. And Matt Smith continues to be the points leader as nobody took an opportunity to uh, to move really within striking distance of him. So he cannot lock up a championship in Las Vegas, but he can put it pretty far out to pasture if he's able to win. And we know Angie Smith has won in Las Vegas before they have a good V-twin tune-up out there. For the Nitro Funny Car class, we saw the big three go down to the wire again. Uh, Robert Height now only holding 10 points over Ron Caps, who faced off against Matt Hagen in the final. Just a classic low 90s, side-by-side, header flames up, late Sunday afternoon, early evening final. Um, really, in, in some ways, it was kind of poetic. You know, you got Matt Hagen battling his way back into this conversation that we'd started to leave him out of. He was started to be the, the laggy one of the three, and now making that final round keeps him and his team completely fired up and uh, cogent, if you will, in this championship discussion. And for Robert Height, it wasn't necessarily a backslide per se. You know, he didn't win the race, but... Uh, going out when he did did not do him any favors and and it's going to be interesting to see where Ron Caps lands when we come out of Las Vegas we're going to talk to Ron about that on the show today kind of this positioning um, where he kind of perceives himself to be in terms in relation to his other two championships we can talk about all those things now that he brings the perspective of a multi-time champion uh, has been through this many many times a multi-time runner-up as well and in top fuel Justin Ashley, what else are you going to say about this top fuel chase? He has really begun to own it, uh, making the finals uh, in, what, now four of the countdown races or three of the countdown races, three out of four, and winning one and really becoming a case study in just consistency. The driving in top fuel is just uh, over the top. Um, Reaction times in the pro stock level, the drivers that made it past the first round, really drivers made it past the second round. It was was just – elite levels of competition it was sharpshooting at the tree it was brilliant tuning on the racetrack it was not a peddler's race per se it was a race of those that can really bear down and deliver in a clutch situation for their particular team and justin ashley has proven himself able to do that maybe better than anybody else this year so you know we always talk about this guy he's young is the pressure going to get to him is he going to start making mistakes and we did see people make mistakes. We saw people making mistakes at Dallas, and he was not one of those people. And, you know, the further he gets, let's say he does leave Las Vegas with a points lead, uh, it's tough to perceive this guy giving it back. And we'll find out what happens. Will he be the one to break the icy grip of the Capco contractors team after what has been an astonishing four-year run? And no, they're not out of it yet. They will just need help. They will need those points leaders, Justin, Brittany, 
Um, they'll need those cars to go out early so they can really make up some ground and take full advantage of the points and a half system. So when we talk about top fuel, we can go really all the way back to the 10th spot of, of Clay Milliken and say, even he's not technically done yet. I mean, he's only like 160 out, which in two races is an incredibly tall order. But we look what Austin Proc did in Dallas and where he ended up. And now Proc can basically wiggle his way inside the top five um, with a couple of, of good round wins and a couple of uh, those racers ahead of him losing. Uh, he can find himself in the top five coming out of Vegas. And with points and a half, he could even go higher than that. That is a car that is certainly peaking at the right time. We spoke to him for NHRA.com. You'll be seeing that upcoming Skype video posted across the social media channels. And then I guess the long story short on the on the stampede of speed, it's a well-produced event. Uh, you know, they have the champions dinner Thursday night. Really, when they, you have a all, you know, outlaw pro mod races and the Nitro Sideshow and all kinds of fun stuff going on during the week. Uh, there was professional testing going on on Wednesday. And then Thursday is where the NHRA race starts. Uh, Thursday night, they had a champion's dinner, which was so well done. Uh, did not attend, but saw a lot of uh, social media coverage on it. Kind of a, a dressed-up affair. Uh, brings in all the, the previous winners uh, from, from the Texas Motorplex at this particular race. The champions from last year are honored. It really is uh, a great time. And if you're thinking about picking an NHRA national event, Camping World Series national event to attend next year, you could make a week out of the Stampede of Speed. If you're you know, motorhome person, RV person, you want to go hang out in Texas for a week and watch a lot of drag racing, catch a country concert and everything else, bull riding, all the other stuff they got going on, you can certainly do it down there. So that is, uh, that's my take and what we're looking at coming out of Dallas, but you're not listening this to the show for simply my brilliance. You want to hear our drivers, and you will hear those drivers. I recorded these interviews earlier, and now we will transition into that part of the program. All right, so my first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. You know him, you love him. Maybe you follow him on YouTube. If you don't, you probably should. But he is the driver of the Parts Plus Nurtech ODT Top Fuel Dragster as part of Rick Ware Racing. Clay Milliken, how you doing, man? I tell you, I am just wonderful, just getting home from Dallas. And I am super pumped and excited for these last couple races. It's going to be great. Yeah, and really, you should be. I mean, we look at we look at things, and and oftentimes I think numbers are to some degree deceptive on some fronts. But we look at the point standings. You're tenth right now, two hundred out, which is technically not done yet because of points and a half at uh, points and a half at Pomona. And I, I also say you're not done yet because I'm looking at a race car that is as good or better as it's been all season long, and and I want to first kind of concentrate on on what we've been seeing out of this thing since Brainerd, man. Well, I got to tell you, you know, obviously when Rick Ware took over the team, you know, he was in the process of building a team, so he already had some parts and pieces kind of purchased and uh, was moving forward with building his own team. And you know, I've been seeing tons and tons of comments and people just saying. You know, all these new parts. Well, the truth is what all those parts have done is really just free Jimmo up to uh, to kind of let things loose a little bit, yeah. you know, and it, and it has shown immediately. And, and with the exception of first round Sunday, you know, we haven't torn anything up and, and we're still using a lot of the parts that we had. It's just we have more of them. And, you know, that just makes it easier for Jimmo, you know, tuning the thing that uh, – he doesn't worry quite as much about if we hurt something. And the car has been running really, really good, and it, and it makes it a, a lot of fun for everybody working on this thing that, you know, when you put a – what is the old saying? You're, you're, you're good as your last ET slip, yes. and it makes everybody feel good. 
you know, when we talk about the the crew and and the team that's been assembled there, and and we talk about how tight knit it is, and it is a very tight knit group of a group of people. Um, how much, if at all, did that did that Rick Ware element change that tightness? Did it make it even tighter? I mean, is it does it does does it permeate from the top down? Oh, I mean, it, the the team, you know, it's just such a good good group. I get in trouble all the time because I call them kids, and to me, they are kids, but. <laughs> You know, they, uh, it, it's the same way with every race team. It's just, you know, you spend so much time together. You know, one or yeah. two things happen. You either become a really, really tight knit group or, or you get to the point where you hate each other. You right. Know? Sure. And, and, uh, we're very fortunate in the fact that, that this group's been together for a little while and, you know, they, they all look out for each other and, and, you know, very much like a family, you know, they give each other crap every now and then, but we have never had anything that that gets out of control you know they yeah. have fun with each other they they pick out you know different little adventures to take while they're on the road you know i mean it's like stopping by bonneville salt flats i was thinking about heady west which made that pop in my head they you know so they do treat it like a family you know yeah. it's like they're on a constant non-stop vacation and you know that hasn't changed you know, Doug definitely had assembled a great group of people, and and they continue to be a great group of people. I love racing with them. And along those lines, you know, there's been, and this isn't just this isn't just your team. It's been so many of the teams. The amount of, especially this year coming in, the amount of turnover and and people changing hands and people going different places that we saw. Does this new kind of era of of this team solidify that group a little bit more than maybe it would have been in the past? Oh, I think so. You know, I think so. The uh, Again, just talking about how young they are, you know, they're super pumped and excited for the shop now being in the Charlotte area. You know, the shop's in Mooresville. That's where, you know, Rick had got a, a nice, beautiful place for, for the team that he was assembling to yeah. put together. And actually, that's, that's where our team is now at. And, you know, some of the kids booked out of Dallas straight back to Mooresville. You know, they're getting apartments. They're getting everything set up and and there's uh, let's just face it there's more to do in the charlotte area than mcleansboro illinois you know <laughs> so uh, you know as as young people like they are you know they're pumped up about that they're looking forward to kind of exploring a new area and and uh checking out you know all the roundy round guys that are in the area i mean it's starting to be a few drag race teams over there as well i mean you know kb's obviously yeah. been there forever and ever and ever doug foley's there you know so what they're finding that they really, really enjoy is where the shop's at there in Mooresville. They can literally just run down the street and ha- and have, you know, block repair done, head repair done, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. We've, we've been working with PMP, a guy named Dennis, that uh, has already been invaluable to our team just for simple repairs. You know, nothing crazy, but, you know, if, in McLeansboro, you know, I, I love Doug's area. You know, we were, we've been there for many, many years, but everything had to be you know shipped out for repair yeah you know and this just makes it more convenient and faster and at the end of the day a little less work for those kids you know getting this thing turned around for the next race so that that makes their life a little easier and, and look to me i think it's a huge thing too where where if they're you know if they're, they're if they're going down there and finding you know finding places to live and and getting themselves kind of resettled in a new area that's a huge 
it's a great thing for you and your team. I mean, it's not like they're going, well, I don't want to move to North Carolina, so good luck finding somebody else. I mean, that's commitment. And and as we know, and as we've seen over the years in this sport, when you're able to build year-over-year consistency, whether it's with the same engine parts and the same crew chief or the same you know crew, that's really when the magic starts to happen. And, and honestly, as I look at this season for your team, and as I look at, let's call it Brainerd Forward, um, it, it's almost like I'm watching – something growing now that really is going to blossom in 2023. I certainly hope you're right. And we yeah. feel that way. You know, the, the, the one thing you can really, really look at is, you know, the speed of the car has went up tremendously. Yeah. And I know you keep up with all that stuff. And that just tells you the car's happy, that things running good, the last little bit of it. And yes, you know, the, the people are excited about being here. They're excited about the future and the performance of the car is is very exciting for me because I get to ride in the thing, and I think Jimmo's just scratching the surface. I really, really do. I mean, Friday night at Dallas, you know, we were going out there just thinking, okay, we need to make a good solid A to B run, nothing crazy, and the thing puts a 68 up on the board. Yeah. You know, that's exciting for me. I mean, I've done this for so long, and, you know – I got a good, I don't know how to tune one, but I got a good idea of what we're trying to do most of the time. And, and I was not expecting that, to be honest with you. I did not point blank ask Jim, well, what are we trying to run here? But I've done it long enough. I thought, well, we're going to go out here and try to go, you know, 74, Sure. you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, to your, to your point, I mean, to your point on the speed, it, it is now not, it, it doesn't even really raise our eyebrows that much when we see the thing go 333, 334, like, you know, you went 334, I think in a quarter at uh, at St. Louis, and you know if that's five six races ago, that's us looking at each other in the booth, going, "Where did that come from?" But now it's like, okay, the expectations change. <laughs> yeah, you know whether that's good or bad. You know yeah. when your expectations go up, you know it's easier to disappoint as well. But it becomes normal. You know, I mean, you know, Justin's and Brittany's, you know, those cars run those kind of numbers, and and you don't really think much about it anymore. And I'm glad that we're moving into that area. That just means that our cars becoming more competitive with that front group of cars. And I, I just can't wait, you know, just to keep making laps. I mean, it, the more opportunities that Jimmo has to, to kind of explore what he's working on right now, I think the thing just gets better and better. And I think more wind lights are just right there. Yeah, and listen, you know, you and I had talked uh, a while back. You had compiled uh, the kind of margins of victory of about five races in a row, and they all added up to about, what, a 10,000th or something like that. Um, and you were on the wrong side of that stuff. But then we see the first round in St. Louis, and it's like, you got one back. You know, the, the racing gods giveth and the racing gods taketh away. But, you know, the effort you put in that first round in, in St. Louis uh, had to have erased at least some of the, some of the some of those tight ones. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. And one even better than that was Reading, where I don't know what I was doing, but I had the worst reaction time of my entire life, <laughs> and I got away with it. You know, I think I had to sneeze or something. I honestly don't know what happened there racing Tony Schumacher, but the last thing you want to do is give him a three-tenth head start. You know, that that was just one of those races. But, you know, and then flip it back over to first round at Dallas. You know, this thing is absolutely flying. Yeah. And I have a, I have a pretty good light. I'm 62 on the tree. And that dang Kevin Kinsley, you know, he's, he stuffs her in there and gets him a 30 light. And yeah. Gets me on the whole shot, even though we were, whatever it was, 50 mile an hour difference at the finish line, you know. But 
it is funny. The racing gods will keep you humble. <laughs> they really will. And and look, I, I I see this season of Top Fuel, and you know, some people roll their eyes when we talk about how good you know this season is, and how especially good this this part of the year is. But when is the last time that I can get on the phone with a guy like you and say, well, you know, hey, you're in tenth with two races left, and say. But you're not out of it yet. You know what I mean? Like that's the insane thing. <laughs> yeah. Sure, you need some help, but look, we saw what Austin Proc did coming out of the coming out of the deep end of the pool last weekend. He moved himself up a couple spots, and the reality is, you're about three round wins away from being a top five car. That's just how wild it is right now. It really is, you know. And I've been saying this everywhere, anywhere that people will listen. This is the greatest era of top fuel racing. Oh well, maybe I should say season, but I think era. It's the greatest top fuel has ever been you know me and you catch it all the time oh we should be quarter mile racing we you know this is not the same the good old days well guess what these are the good old days there is never ever been drag racing in top fuel as close as it is right now you don't have a, a runaway points leader everybody in the field has an opportunity to to just win a race and turn on wind lights it, it, it doesn't get any better than what we got right now it may get better, but it's never been this good. And yeah, and and it and it you come back to a lot of different things. I'm you know working on a, a preparing our SEMA breakfast for this year, and we got uh, you know Prodome and Tharp and and Frank uh, and uh, Frank Holly and Lee Beard are, are all part of this thing. And so I'm going back and pulling a lot of old video and. Simply, you know, we come back to reaction time, and I understand, you know, it could be manipulated how you stage the car, whatever. But, but the bottom line is, if you just take all that away, the guys back in the day who were heroes, and I love all of them, would absolutely get destroyed by anybody today as far as the starting line goes. It just isn't even compares. It's not comparable. No doubt about it. And being an old guy myself, I am going to to defend them just a little bit because. I don't go quite that far back, but the cars react better now than they used to as well. And me and you had a lot of conversations about this over the last, I don't know, several, several years that, you know, I went from being horrible when I had one of the quickest cars in the world to now I'm pretty good. You know, it's, uh, there's so much that can be done, even shallow staged that the car has so much to do with it that people don't just, they don't grasp that. You know, being the old sportsman racer that I am, I can I can tell you, you can swap valve bodies in your power glide and gain three <laughs> right. or four hundreds, right. three or four hundreds easy one way or the other on car reaction time. And the crew chiefs have finally got around to working on car reaction time, and it makes a big, big difference. And but I do think the drivers work on it harder. I know I work on it harder than I ever did, and you can't completely rely on your car just outrunning people you know it doesn't work that way anymore you gotta you gotta work on every bit of it yeah and i think if if we look you know really not necessarily top to bottom but we look at you know the premier drivers in the class you being one of them there is there is more background to what you guys and girls have done in this era than what other racers did for instance you know joe model let's say joe model raced uh, alcohol cars and stuff like that and he was obviously a five-time world champion the guy's a hero uh, but he didn't have he was not a sportsman racer. You know, he didn't have a he didn't have a, a super comp background or, you know, I look at the Langdons of the world. You know, Justin Ashley's driven a bunch of different stuff, a fuel cars and, and all, you know, Lee has competed in the factory stock showdown. So I think there's a different level of just diversified experience among today's crop of, of pro drivers. Oh, I 100 percent agree. I mean, you, you you mentioned Langdon there. You know, that guy is uh, 
He's, he's probably racing this weekend or as we speak actually right now <laughs> at the OG million down in Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah. He's, he's bracket racing right now, you know, <laughs> for a million bucks. <laughs> but, Insane. You know, he is, you know, a prime example of that. You know, Leah, you're right. She's, she's drove, you know, pro mod cars, she's factory stopped, you name it. She's racing all the time. And, you know, for me, I I may not be out racing all the time, but uh, I promise you, I'm working on it all the time. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's just what you got to do. You know, it is part of part of what you got to do. You know, I mean, I've also, you know, for the last three or four years, I work out every day. And believe me, I hate working out. But when you're racing somebody like Justin Ashley, you better be on top of your game because that kid certainly is. You know, that's a fact. Austin Pratt, same thing. You know, he's one that. Uh, don't necessarily, you know, have laps in super comp car, that sort of thing. But, but the kid eats it, sleeps it every single day, you know, and he's grown up around it. And I think that makes a big difference. You know, your upbringing with him, obviously with who his dad is, he's, he's been watching the Christmas tree for a long time. He knows the, you know, the, knows the ropes, knows the games, all those sort of things all play into it. And listen, you mentioned uh, Langdon being down in Huntsville. I mean, I know a guy who uh, won some money at Huntsville one time too. <laughs> maybe one or two dollars that's for sure what you was know, that was that a hundred thousand you won at that rocket city nationals which was a eighth mile open top fuel race right well it was called the rocket city nationals that paid a hundred and one thousand to win because george howard you know one of the greatest promoters of drag racing you know he he wanted to be the biggest payout ever which th- that was why it was a hundred and one not a hundred <laughs> because uh, you know because of u.s nationals sure and it also paid five thousand for low ET. So, yeah, we left out of there with a hundred and six grand. That was a fun weekend on a July Fourth, many, many, many years ago. But uh, you know, I wish we could do some more of that. Yeah, <laughs> because that was fun. Oh yeah, no, that was an amazing event at the time. I remember following along with it, just having you know, just having kind of my mind blown that one, the amount of money that was being paid, and two, the fact that you guys are racing top fuel cars on a racetrack that you know I think is uh, at least at that point was was questionable at best for even some alcohol cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know uh, the, the the first lap I made down through there, you know, it was like, all right, am I going in the cornfield or am I going to make the turn off? <laughs> But for 101 grand, I was ready to stop on the loud pedal and take a chance at it for sure. You know, as a as a fan of the sport, and as you mentioned, you've been involved in drag racing at, at pretty much every level. And and uh, I think when you look around, and I'm, I'm interested in your impression on this, when you look around and see somebody like what Eric Anders is accomplishing this year, I think you can you can bring an appreciation to that that maybe other other fuel drivers might not be able to if they don't have a sportsman racing background. But what she has been able to accomplish this year is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, just Erica, period. I mean, trust me. I have picked her brain more than once about, you know, her mental state. Sure. Because she is unbelievable. I mean, you have no choice anymore. And again, this will go back to to some of the old timers that, that are on social media. You know, if you think she's not one of the greatest pro stock drivers of all time, you're wrong. Oh, forget about it. Yeah. Yeah, she's proven it over and over again. She's proven it when her car is the quickest, and she's proven it when she had to do it on the starting line. And what she's done this year is just totally, totally unbelievable. She just don't make mistakes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm so impressed. Like I said, I, every chance I get, I will ask her, you know, 
about that mindset or, you know, what's she thinking, what's she doing ahead of time, because she is just unbelievable. That really is. And it's, um, again, from a, you know, from a, a paid spectator viewpoint for me, it's just like it, it has to be to compete against her. And, and listen, you got Greg Anderson out there. You got, you got, again, some of the greats. Um, but again, to understand what she is going to bring to the table every time she shows up, it's just like, damn, there's no way that's not at least mildly intimidating. I mean, it has to be. And there's a couple of youngins out there that, that can tattoo that tree, but yep. it, they have to against her. You yep. know, you got Dallas Glenn, Aaron Stanfield, you know, Kyle Koreski, that they're all, I mean, shoot, freaking Stanfield is, uh, I don't know exactly where he's at in points, but he's hanging in there in the top dragster, got a shot at the world championship, I believe. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Erica just goes up there. It's like she just, she's amazing. Yeah. You know, she doesn't falter. She doesn't mess up. She doesn't care if, if Dallas Glenn may go triple O on the tree, which can happen. And he's done it, you know, but it doesn't matter. She just keeps turning on wind lights. So as we look at these next and final two races of the season, Clay, uh, Las Vegas and, and Pomona, two great events. Obviously, the Las Vegas race has has its own unique energy. It's on SEMA week. You know, it really is to, to a degree the kind of kickoff of SEMA week. The place is always jamming out there and the whole Halloween thing happens and everything else. Um, when you look at these last two events and you look at the way the car's been running, you know, what are the things that you think are going to be most critical as far as being success, successful out there? I mean, we we look and see what what qualifying means anymore is, you know, people go, oh, there's only 16 cars, so what does it matter? But to me, um, it matters a lot. And we're going to have a bump spot out there, which I don't think is going to be a huge worry for you guys, but you'll get in the field. But when you look at the, the necessary evils of qualifying in these last two races and what will probably be cool conditions, what do you think it's going to take to be top half or even number one? Well, I mean, you know, Vegas, you are kind of kind of uphill, but number one, I would say, you know, you're probably going to need to be putting how I mean, I feel like I'm stumbling over myself. No, it's, all good. So, it's so weather dependent. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you follow along, you understand, you know, if, if it's you catch the right conditions, you're going to see some crazy numbers. But I would say to be number one qualifier, you're going to need to be around 66. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of what I think it's going to take to be number one. And positioning on the ladder anymore, you're right, is hugely important because you think, okay, I'm in the field, but do you want, do you want to race, you know, just nationally first round? Mm, probably not. Yeah. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So positioning does matter, you know, and we kind of felt like we did that at Dallas, but then we had, you know, a, a hiccup. So, you know, I think for the – Vegas, you know, is, is going to be interesting because sometimes you will see some cars that going into those kind of elevations, which is not Denver Mondo stretch, but it does affect the tune up. Yeah, and, it does. And over the, over the years, we've seen cars that actually seem, it seems to suit their tune up a little better. You know, for us, I'm not sure because obviously the cars improve so much. I don't know what this elevation is going to do, but there are times that cars that have been running really, really good will suddenly struggle, you know? So I think that all comes into play and, and it will be all weather dependent, hot out. It's going to be kind of up in the air. I think if it's cool out, I think the guys that's been up front will stay up front. Yeah. I don't know if that answers anything. No, it does. No, it, it, no, it makes sense. And it just, to me, it gives perspective to somebody listening here to understand that, that it is, 
it is something that there's thought given to and and obviously it's not simply oh great we qualified second we can we can feel good about ourselves it really is the roadmap to succeeding out here anymore especially in top fuel and you know what i thought was really interesting uh despite the fact we had some we had some big upsets obviously in the first round of top fuel in in dallas but what was interesting on paper before we went ran that round when tony and i were putting our notes together on sunday morning we kind of looked at each other and went, well, you know, after the last couple of weeks, this looks pretty tame because the last couple of weeks we had had all these crazy head-to-head matchups with cars that were kind of high up in the points. And then as the sport tends to do, you look at it on paper and you go, well, this is just going to be a thing. And then you go, well, five minutes in, you go, we judged this one wrong. <laughs> it, it was a wild, you know, first round. And, and that's the thing. You anymore. I mean, I hate to go back to what we're saying, but, over the last few years, the cars are so freaking good. Yeah, you, you know, I just said you don't want Justin Ashley first round, but you also can uh, catch a Kevin Kinsley that makes a career run yeah. beside you. Yeah. You know, the the information has gotten so spread amongst all the teams that you better look and see who's working on those cars because, you know, if they've got somebody like Aaron Brooks or Stewie working on a car that doesn't compete all the time, you, you better be prepared for a, a good run out of that lane. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned from, from Tony over the last couple of seasons, and really specifically this year as we've watched different cars, you know, kind of rise up uh, and find their find their footing, is he'll often say, you know, and, and it, it counteracts a lot of stuff that I always thought about, Where whereas when you guys started making some really big runs, uh, you know, running the high 60s, low 70s on a very consistent basis, after about the second, maybe second or third run you guys had made in that range uh, several races back, he looked at me and said, these guys, have, they found, they have found their range, like a boxer trying to find the range of his jab. He's like, when a team will find it, even if it's only a couple of runs in a row, it's like it doesn't necessarily go away. And that's and you guys have proved it. I mean, you've proved it with week after week performances, low 70s, high 60s. It's it's to me, it's a fascinating thing to recognize. And he's been able to kind of put his finger on some of that stuff. And he certainly did it with you guys accurately. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, it is interesting you say that because Rick, new team owner, you know, he was. He's been able to come to most of the races, but he's like, man, we've got this thing. This was, you know, the Brainerd time. Man, we got this thing dialed into, you know, like a 72. That's awesome. You know, we were able to kind of click those off. And then, you know, Jimmo is uh, in there going, well, okay, 72 is okay, but but we need more. <laughs> and it continues to dig. And, and now we're starting to find those, you know, 69s and 68s. And, you know, and that those over 330-mile-an-hour speeds you're talking about, and it does become easier for those guys once you can see it and yep. they can look at it. You know, it's like, okay, I need this much drive shaft speed. I need this much engine RPM. And it becomes easier to just just keep repeating that. And you take a swing every now and then and, and try to find that next step. And, and that's where we're at right now. That's where Jimmo's at. And I cannot wait to click off a 67 because the quickest Jimmo's ever been is a 68. We've, okay. knocked off, we've knocked off a couple of those recently in the last few weeks, you know, and Jimmo's funny. He's like, man, I was really excited for that run. And he's like, but I look at you and I'm, and, and I know you're over there going, well, let me show you this old time <laughs> slip. <laughs> so I'm excited because, you know, every time we, you know, make a run like that it's the quickest that anybody on our team has been yeah except for Jimmo yeah and he's been 67 you know but so 
it's funny, you know, how all that becomes so important to everybody. You know, it doesn't matter if they're driving or, or working on it. You want to keep improving. And, and I just want to keep improving myself and, and everybody on this car is just like working at it because they know there's a better number every time we go up there. It can happen now. So one last question before I let you go, and that is when you look at the situation you're in now with the people you have, with Jim O, uh, with, with Rick Ware's involvement, is this the best place you've been in career-wise, car-wise, situation-wise since your, since your Warner days? And that's not to take a shot at anybody, and that's one thing I want to make really clear. Doug Stringer did an incredible job with that team for, for the resources and for the way he managed it, and, and I'm not taking it at all a shot at that guy, and I don't want anybody to think that I am, but... When you look at where you are at this moment going forward, do you think you're back in a in a place of that level? I mean, I think we're back to where we were when when Doug had great clips involved. Yeah, you okay. know when. Yep, I would say that's, that's you know we're certainly in a wonderful spot, and I think that this is just going to continue to move <clears throat> forward because Rick is working on so many different areas, and I want to touch on this real quick. Absolutely, at the U.S. Nationals the weekend that that you know this everything had kind of transpired you know and and rick's involved and we had the parks plus dragster at the u.s nationals uh there was a parks plus car at a nascar race there was a parks plus car at an indy car race you know? Crazy. yeah and and so i mean it it just changes everything you know uh a couple weeks ago you know we were the Parks Plus Summit car, obviously, every weekend, but there was a Summit car at the NASCAR race in Texas. You first know, time ever, right? Yeah, first time ever, you know, and uh, there was Summit motocross team at Global Supercross. They won, by the way, first one of those ever. And so, you know, what Rick is doing, everything is one giant team yeah you know so the the sponsors involved with our team are involved with everything else he's got going indycar imsacar you know supercross you name it and that is what is going to allow us to continue to move forward and and continue to run better and continue to have those parts and i'm having to learn a you know a whole new thing because i've obviously been involved in the sponsor stuff over all the years and and the doors are wide open for doing so much more now. And that pumps me up that I know I'm going to be able to continue to be able to make a living driving these race cars for a pretty good while in the future. Yeah, no, it's great, man. No, it really is. It's, and it's to me, it's an exciting time for anybody who loves this sport when you look at you know, the, I don't want to call it the Tony Stewart effect, but maybe a little bit of that because with Rick's involvement and the uh, rumblings are that there's more guys uh, from the, the world of, of stock car and sports car racing that have begun to really give a serious eye to drag racing. Um, I think it is an incredible, incredible thing we era we may be entering into here, which is just awesome. It, it really is. And, you know, Rick obviously had been looking at it, you know, it's been, yeah, I don't know, over a year ago that, that we, we ran a, a parts plus Nurtech car and and you are right there are other big name people in the nascar world looking at drag racing and it just tells you that that drag racing is doing things right our hospitality opportunities are so huge and so much better than anything else out there it gives us an advantage and me and you both you know we're eat up with it and, and we sing the praises of drag racing all the time but i think the rest of the world is starting to see it 
I agree. And they should be seeing you on YouTube. Make sure you go to Clay Milliken's YouTube channel. This guy is cranking content all the time. He's going to have a real fancy pants new intro to some of his videos coming up soon. I'll leave that one uh, to your imagination. But, Clay, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. It's been great to watch this team uh, really, really come into its own last several races, and I look forward to seeing what you guys can do the last couple. Man, I'm looking forward to it as well, and I always love coming on. And and you know I'm always tuned into podcasts like you know, Dorkomotive. It's time for for a, a new episode. I got to get on that, so. man. I got to get on that. Once it, once the season's out, I got a bunch where I'm going to barf out. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that stuff, and I appreciate you letting me come on. I look forward to seeing everybody at the last couple races, and I also look forward to seeing everybody at the SEMA show because we got a lot going on for that too. Amen. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, buddy. So after talking to Clay Milliken, we now transition to the Nitro Funny Car category and a guy who just continues to stick his face in everybody else's business, driver of the Napa GR Supra. His name is Ron Caps. Ron, what's going on, man? Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm good, man. I don't know if I'm as good as you because I'm looking here at uh, 10 points. Dude, you're 10 <laughs> points out right now. This is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, gosh. That, yeah, it is. It's crazy. It's where you want to be. It's where... I, I got to look back at last year because I think we were sort of in the same position yeah. last year before going on to win a championship. We knew it was close, but either way, it's funny because you, you think no matter what, it's going down to Pomona. That's it. I mean, there's no ifs or ands, and it could be three or four cars by the time we get there, but just to be you know, in the position we are and have a chance at it again is pretty cool. It really is, and, and to me, like mentally, and you can say I'm wrong on this, but like mentally – I would find it almost comforting to know that it's going to Pomona, right? I mean, to know that the music isn't necessarily going to skip a beat and just stop on you in Vegas. You know it's going to the dis- going the distance. Yeah, the, the championship we won in 2016 was kind of cool because we actually clinched after qualifying on Saturday night. And, uh, boy, did we party. We had a great time. But it was... <laughs> It was nice to not have to, for my first anyway, not to have to go through the rigors of the Sunday grueling, which I'd finished second like five times or something ridiculous going into Sunday at Pomona. So I fell short before. So not to have to go through that was pretty neat. Um, last year was, you know, obviously pins and needles and staying in position and doing everything right because we had to, we had to gain qualifying points yeah. over Hagen's team going in last year to keep it above another round. And we did that and that was huge and it ended up playing a huge role in uh, us winning it. So yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen in Vegas is a, well, not to be a pun, but it's a wild card because conditions, you know, it's dry weather. Um, it's great track. So there's no excuses there. And it's, um, you know, it's a place that I love seeing with two races ago. That's for sure. Yeah, and listen, to me, I think as a fan, the the separation of, of you, Robert, and Matt from really from the rest of the field, and it's not a huge separation, but it is a little, um, is really fun because these are three cars that can just throw down. I mean, some of the runs we've seen out of out of you specifically have just been unreal. Well, I'd certainly like to see more points between us. <laughs> I don't know if fun <laughs> is the word. Well, listen, from but... my from my seat, your seat's totally different, but from over here. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we, we lost the final in St. Louis. You know, I was so bummed because that was a huge point swing at that point for us. So to get a chance to have Robert earlier in the day than the final um, and do it ourselves was huge. We, we had to do that, and I'm sure we're going to have to do it again, if not the next race, then probably Pomona. So, yeah, there's you know, I'm a little shocked. Like, Taska's car really was the car oh, yeah. so consistently and throwing down every run. 
But you and I talked about this a couple races ago, and, and teams that were out of it a little bit, I said, we're going to be, and not just me, I mean, everybody knows it within our confines, those are the cars that are the most dangerous. A, because they might be out a little bit and they got nothing to lose, sort of. And a lot of them are testing for next year and just kind of throwing costs into the wind. So those are the cars you got to watch out for. Um, so, yeah, I figured those cars would be more in the points hunt. But, listen, uh, if you can go to Pomona and you're at 100, less than 100, then you got a shot at it, and that's a little scary. That really is. And and one of the things I think has been so interesting about your season so far is that you've been able to win. Your team has been able to win. All the wins are not these carbon copy kind of wins, right? It's not simply on, on these cool race tracks or, or, you know, tracks where you can just absolutely let the thing eat. I look at the Bristol win as a real signature moment in your season. You know, we talked about uh, we talked about what performance might be needed over the course of that day, and reality is there was one three-second run made in that entire day in Funny Car, and it was you guys in the final. Yeah, that was a gut check weekend. Obviously, blown it up first round, and just um, and we beat some great cars. I think we beat Robert's team there as well. So those those are fantastic, and the first win for Toyota. That's why it stands out still to me. Um, yeah, it's just been a weird season, and, you know, I made the comment, and I, I'm sure it wasn't taken, I felt a little weird after saying it, but I think to you uh, in the media center was the fact that here's Robert Hyde's team, eight wins already. I mean, they might have more, but the fact that uh, there could be a car that won eight races and won't win the championship, I wanted to be on that side of history, because I've been on the other side of a lot of them, but, but it, it's a, it's a, it's just the way it is in today's world with the countdown and all that. But the fact that somebody could win eight races and not possibly, possibly win a championship is crazy to think. And I'm sure Robert would say the same thing. Uh, who in the world would have thought if you had seven or eight races that you weren't completely clinching already? So that just tells you uh, the parity that we have in this class. Yeah, that's a fact. And, you know, you mentioned the you mentioned the Toyota body and you mentioned you had the explosion in, in Bristol. Um, one of the things, at least outwardly to us in the booth, you know, you've had, I think, two of them this year, a couple of them anyway. And that thing is incredibly uh, is incredibly strong or incredibly well engineered or both because it, it has not broken to a degree that we've seen. And I believe you've been able to keep that body on the car after both of them, right? Yeah, Slugger Lobby really is the guy that, that kind of went to the very first and from the inception. And he, he's an old school NASCAR crew chief, and he's been with Toyota, and just so hands on. He was actually working with Matt, our body guy, after we blew it up in Charlotte before we went on to win, and we ended up running that car even after that explosion. So they did a lot of really good work with the burst panels, and I think you're going to see what we did with Toyota body and what Slugger did with some of these other. You know, I'm sure NHRA is looking at it because I expected the car split in half after the blow up in Charlotte and uh, the concussion was huge and I got out and it wasn't. And we ended up running it the next day and winning the race. So there's a lot to be said about the work they did in the wind tunnel and for safety um, and a lot of other reasons. But most of the credit, you know, goes to Slugger, but allows uh, Guido and the way that he has our team prepare for anything is uh, unbelievable. I mean, we've got things ready to go just in case things like that happen. And not a lot of teams have the uh, habit that way. Yeah. And I'm very lucky um, in that sense because if things go wrong and I'm like, oh my gosh. And he, Guido's like, nope, don't worry about it. We're ready. We got all this ready and we've, we've prepared. So that's a big deal. 
It is a big deal. And, you know, something you mentioned uh, at the top end when you were holding your Wally uh, in Dallas is the fact that it sounds like uh, John Medlin may be calling it a career after the end of this season. And, my God, what a career it's been. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he bought some property and a really cool cabin in Georgia up in the hills somewhere. And, um, you know, he's been kind of thinking about the last few years. And he's just been having so much fun this year. I think he kind of was like, oh, maybe I'll stick it out for another year. So, um, obviously his wife, Martha, she deserves, um, to have him all to herself now. And we may see him back out for some special projects and such. I I hope I'm I'm sure sure we will, but he's so much fun. He's so, uh, eclectic and fun to be around. Um, not just counting the race stuff, you know, Uh, I've mentioned after Eric's death, I got real close with John, um, Eric's accident. It was just John and I were down there. We were the two on the scene with Eric and, so the, I have a special bond with him anyway, and I've gotten to win some races with him. But the fact that uh, his insight on life and the books he'll hand you at certain times to tell you to read and things like that have just touched me and, and my kids and my family. So um, he deserves it, and we're looking forward to hopefully send him off with a, a new championship ring, I hope. Yeah, a truly unique man. And, and there's you know there's drag racing smarts, which which we have people in the sport that have it in spades, and then there is just the level of intelligence that he is that really transcends a lot of stuff. He's a fascinating guy to talk to, and like you said, he has earned every moment of peace and quiet in his cabin that he will he will ever have. So it's uh it's pretty cool. It's a bittersweet thing, of course, as always, but uh, it's cool. And listen, uh, this is maybe one of those moments where it's an opportunity that opens for somebody else, a a younger guy that's uh, that's maybe deserving of that spot and and can work well with Guido. Who knows? I'm not trying place anybody's name in there but you know how this works i mean when something like that opens up on a car like yours it can be a big moment in somebody's career yeah it already is and guido's been real good about that we got a we got a few of them that could and and we just got such a great team our our t-buck our longtime car chief and um you know guys that have really been around the sport and love what they're doing and i'm looking forward to it. i think we're gonna guido said promote from within and that excites me um, our team's such a close knit family. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. You know, it was, it was unique. I finally got to break out the hop, the Eric Lane hop hat <laughs> yes, yes. in the winter circle. Um, we lost him. I actually think today is today. I believe you're um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Bob, uh, the desert superchargers ran back to the trailer and grabbed it. And, uh, and I got to take a picture in the winter circle cause he, that was a great thing about Hop is every win, he would go grab a drink, him and Tobler, and then there in the winter circle, he was wearing that Hop hat. So um, <laughs> that was very, very cool, um, and we miss him a lot. But, yeah, very excited about the future. You know, uh, one of the things that was the future that has, has come to fruition, and we've talked a little bit about it, is is Toyota. And, you know, I continue to be really impressed with their presence in drag racing, their commitment to the sport, and how they treat us, and I, and I say that, maybe it sounds weird to people listening, but Toyota, to me, treats drag racing differently than any other of the OE manufacturers, and I'm, I'm glad for all of them to be here, but I do feel like Toyota is kind of on a next-level program. Dude, I, I, I can't even tell you, you know, being close friends with Antron and J.R. Todd and some of the Toyota sponsor people already, um, and that was when I knew I was going to do a team. I, I, that was the first thing I wanted. I've seen it in the past. I've seen the, just everything they do at the racetrack. And, um, boy, it's 10 times that being part of the nap, the, the, the family now is just crazy with the engineers, the people, um, 
Actually, Rob Flynn's son is one of yeah. the track guys, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the tallest guy in America, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the data that we get from them, we get videos and we get, uh, just so much, so much help behind the scenes. It's, it's not about the company. It's about the people with the company. And it's, it's crazy fans. You know, I got a little bit of grief switching over. Um, but I can't tell you, it, and I've told it many times, the same fans, it, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me besides an app, sponsorship in racing. Cause it's, uh, it's been life changing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's been cool to see. And obviously you've, uh, you've been able to carry the torch for them and, and the body that they put so much work and engineering into, uh, to a very high level. So let's talk about these last two races and, and, the, the Ron Caps before he won his first world championship in this position is definitely not the guy that's in this position today. And can you even think back to what this felt like back then when you had come close and missed a few times when you were this tight but not quite there yet? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I always have always strived to be the same person, whether I, we just won a race or I lost first round or, or whatever when somebody approaches me or if I go out and hang out with the, the crew or our friends. So I, I've tried to be the same person throughout that. And it's hard to look back. I just remember I was sick and tired of the media <laughs> asking me yeah. what it's, what it's going to feel like to win a championship when I'd come so close so many times. And, you know, honestly, I mean, I look around now, these trophies I got in my house, I never thought I would have one, you know, as a crew member growing up working on these things and just aspiring to be a driver and hoping Someday, I never thought I'd be in this position. So, yeah, it's the mindset's so different. I mean, winning Indy this year, I, I keep forgetting that until somebody in the media brings it up. And I just feel like I've already been blessed. Um, I can't remember that same Ron Caps, I guess, before the first championship. Uh, it was just such a relief. And so was last year, knowing that we were going to go into being a, a team ownership role. So, it is different. And, uh, you know, I was asked, I think, on, on your TV show by Jamie at the other end of the track, um, you know, how it felt going into the final round against Hagen after beating Robert. And I just, like, I, I just know that, you know, you just want to be one of the usual suspects is what I said. And that's just you want to be mentioned with these other yeah. great cars and drivers that you guys are all talking about in the booth. When cars come up and you're excited and Tony Pedron's excited and start talking, I want to be one of those race cars that you're talking about and and we are and it's great but i feel like i told jamie that i've been through enough and been hardened like a stone through all the disappointments and all the ups and downs through my career and positions and races and big events and final rounds and you know all the stress that i've i'm better for it and i'm we'll find out these next two races i feel like i am but you just never know yeah and then and, and Listen for the for the glorious part of of the way that this season's wrapping up, and in basically every category outside of pro stock, where Erica has uh, has mowed the field flat, um, it's pretty much down to the wire for everybody, which is which is obviously what we what we love to see and what we want to see. Um, give me the book on give me the book on Vegas, not the city itself, but the racetrack. Yeah, it's just it's a no excuse kind of. I mean, for sure, this time of year, obviously we won the four wide, which, yep. but you can't take anything from that. Um, it's a very, very dry conditions. It's high altitude than, than normal. Um, so it's a big change for a lot of teams going there. So to have somebody as savvy, uh, as Guido and Medlin going there is always a bonus. Um, obviously it's big. Every moment is going to be big. Every, every qualifying session, it's just a good place to have a race with two to go. And, uh, 
there's not a lot of, of weirdness with the track surface there between the two lanes. Gotcha. There are some winds, some crosswinds that you got to be ready for with those huge grandstands and the winds always blowing. And uh, if you're not thinking of that, looking at uh, at flagpoles um, like I did in Dallas, I mean, you got to be you got to be oh, coherent of yeah. that yeah. because it'll move your car over like two cylinders are out. So those little intricacies that you have to pay attention um, come. Well, I guess I just threw it out there for all the other drivers, but <laughs> but there's a lot of little things you just uh, you have to know, and it'll help you through that weekend. But most of all, just having a race car that can go up and throw down, like I know that we'll have. The energy at this race, and I talked to a little a uh, little bit about it with Clay Millican, but the energy for this particular fall race is different than any other race on the tour. Um, I don't know if it permeates through the pit area, and obviously Sunday is all business, and and everybody goes to work to win. But the environment at this race, the place is always packed. SEMA show is getting ready to kick off. It's always freaking Halloween weekend in Las Vegas. There really is nothing like it. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty special. It is. It's bizarre because when I pack next week, I'm packing for basically two weeks. It seems like yeah. Because you know SEMA's afterwards. I'm getting itinerary changes of appearances at SEMA. There's big announcements. Your sponsors are making all of our big wigs uh, from corporate on all our sponsors are coming because of SEMA. So they all show up on Sunday. So for a lot of race teams, it's high alert. I mean, not only are you trying to win a championship and win a race, but you've got your, your, your senior people from your sponsors coming. So that throws a whole nother wrench into it. And like you said, it's Vegas. You got to keep yourself, uh, you got to stay within yourself and, (laughs) and and just get to bed, you know, and little things like that. Um, because it's so tough not to. It's Halloween weekend and it's just crazy. But we have a great people at the Sahara that take care of our team, and you just—it's uh, like a lot of family. It's sort of become a home race with the Palmer family and the suite that they—they uh, they have. It's a big party up there with our family. So towing back after a run and seeing—you know—40 of them out on the deck of the suite is a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's a lot of craziness and SEMA. And so you obviously want to go to SEMA on Tuesday morning after having a great race and we did that last year we we had a cushion and i'll never forget the championship year the same thing we had a cushion and there's nothing better than seeing a show on a tuesday knowing you're going to pomona in a good position yeah feeling like the king of the world one of the things i want to ask you and this is a moment that i saw through my tv monitor in the booth but nobody else saw uh at home but so to let people know, our show, if the you know people were complaining, I was getting all these angry emails from people like the show didn't air on time. It's like no, it aired on time, and they kept us on the air for four hours and forty five minutes. We had the rain in the morning. The show went an hour and forty five long. FS One kept with us, which was fantastic. Yep, and we were filling a lot of time, especially between the semis and the finals, uh, because we were totally live. And Jamie interviewed you when you were getting ready to pack the parachutes, I think, for the finals. And as things yep. and as things go in television, she's there, the camera's there, you're holding the parachute in your hand, and it was probably, I want to say, a good four to five minutes before we were able to actually get the interview like done and on the air. How annoying are we in that situation? Like, how annoying are we as the TV people in that moment? Not yeah. at all. It, really? It actually, I yeah, I, I love that. I, I guess a small bit of ADD that I am. Um, it was cool because Hagen's team and ours, obviously Guido's wife, Kelly, is team manager for Tony Stewart Racing. So we've got that bond. Hagen and I were teammates. We've got that bond. They were fitted right across from us. So literally when Hagen and I pack our shoots, we could we were having conversations because the shoots <laughs> kind of go out into the pit area. So we had all these fans around. 
the sky was getting darker. It, it, and it was getting to be nighttime. We knew it was going to be a throwdown final. Both of us needed to win. And we're out there packing our shoots and sort of talking to each other. And the fans are having a blast because they're talking with us. And then Jamie came up and she literally interviewed me while I was packing my shoot and just turned and walked about five feet and interviewed Hagen. <laughs> so I haven't seen the interviews, but it, I, it was a very cool moment. I, I thought it was cool for the fans. They were all around there. And, um, we need more of that. I really, it doesn't bother me at all, believe me. Um, but it was, it was a cool moment for me because I'm still a fan, right? And I'm out there packing my shoot and I'm talking with the fans and I had a kid helping me pack the shoot. And, you know, you just have those moments where you know it's building. And in yeah. about 20 minutes from then, we're going to be at the starting line with flames up and trying to win a race and, and going to win a championship. And it was just a very cool moment. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, and you did not look annoyed. I was just thinking, man, this guy's really holding his composure. He probably wants to strangle <laughs> all of us with the damn parachute uh, tethers. And the la- very last thing on a day like we had on Sunday, which was chaotic in the sense that, you know, they had run uh, sportsman finals to completion basically um, on Saturday. And so we knew the rain was coming and we got a late start and it was like super jam tight. Do you like that? Do you like a little bit of chaos in your life and that it kind of interrupts the the normal thought process that people can stumble over? Yeah, I do. I, I um, You got a long time to think about first round. You know, after qualifying's over, you got all night. You got all morning the next morning. But once you get first round, and really as the day goes on and they're pushing us for live TV, you know, for the final round, literally we packed our shoots and I got suited up again and jumped in a tow vehicle and, uh, we hauled the mail to staging lanes and got in our car. I mean, Hagen and I rent just, we had no time. We said, get in and we jumped in and we were doing our burnouts, but she had no time really to get nervous. So as the day goes on, I, I like that. I don't like a lot of time between. Yeah. I don't think it's good for the fans to have too much time. Like oh, we absolutely. haven't qualifying on Saturday, but yeah, I, I think it was great. Uh, it was a great day. Who would have thought in the morning we were even going to get oh. one run out of the way and yeah. people, didn't show up. They went home. They thought it was over. And we had one of the best races final round with, with flames up. Um, really just a great, great day. Really was Ron. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know you're not off this week. I know you got all kinds of work to do with your, your sponsors and heading across country doing all kinds of stuff. So, uh, keep up the good fight and I will see you in Las Vegas. You got it, Brian. See you soon. We'll certainly see Ron soon. You can see me soon, too, if you'd so like to watch us on FS1, as we will have coverage all weekend long from the NHRA Nevada Nationals. You can go to NHRA.com to get your tickets, as well as tickets to the NHRA Auto Club Finals at Auto Club at Raceway Pomona. It will be a historic weekend for more than one reason, and those details will be coming shortly. But understand this, the championship runs of the three pro categories really outside of pro stock will come down to very late on a Sunday afternoon in Pomona, California. The sun goes down early. The place is always electric at that certain point of the season, the very ending point of the season, if you will, and it will be perhaps shocking to see who leaves with those championships. But before we go to Pomona, we will be in Nevada, and you can tune in on FS1 or get your tickets on NHRA.com. Next week, we'll be back with our typical pre-race show. I'll have Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon back to break down some of the stories, the scuttlebutt that's floating around, and boy, there is plenty of it, and some of the inside lines on what we should expect to see at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. As always, thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans. We'll be back next week.